got our listing on the NASDAQ exchange earlier this year. And I believe we're the only pure play uranium company on the NASDAQ. And so uh, it's really improved our liquidity in trading. We're trading as much as a, a million shares a day now between Toronto and, and New York. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky here. I'm your host. I hope you're doing very well today. I'm on the line today with Mr. Scott Melby. He is the director at um, a company called Uranium Royalty Core. Welcome to the show. Rick, it's great to be on your show and be with your uh, listeners today. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for joining me. Now, look, uh, you and I were just talking about wine regions and things like that and um, the the beautiful places that we have around the world. And uh, we touched on um, Australia, uh, South Australia, in fact, being um, a hub for nuclear energy submarines in the near future. And I'd love to talk in some detail about that uh, as part of the core of the call. But before we do that, Scott, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you personally. I'm wondering, where is home for you? right now well i'm based uh in a place called castle rock colorado it's just south of denver between denver and colorado springs and uh i'm based uh, out of here in the foothills of the rockies and uh so that's uh that's home for me and uh, i've been in this uranium and nuclear energy industry for the last 37 years so uh for a relatively young guy at the age of 59 i've spent uh, all my career in in nuclear power so it's really a pleasure to to speak on the topic today yeah absolutely and who better to uh, educate our listeners because i know that there's a lot of questions i guess you'd say around the topic but uh, when you're uh, in your beautiful uh, hometown there what is it that you love the most about it uh, when you are home yeah, well, uh, you know, if any of you have traveled to Colorado, you know the, the mountains here, and uh, Colorado is a very outdoor uh, kind of a fitness place where people enjoy hiking, skiing, uh, golf, uh, all the, the things that we can enjoy with uh, a lot of, uh, I think we have some of the highest number of sunny days of, of uh, any place in the U.S., and uh, even when it's uh, uh, cold in the winter, we still get a lot of uh, sunshine uh, uh, here in Colorado, so it's a great outdoor a place to enjoy the mountains. Absolutely. So you're a walker, you're a hiker, you're a runner. What do you What do you like to do? Yeah, just I mean, I love to hike in the Rockies. In the winter, we enjoy skiing, and uh, my my biggest passion, I guess, would be uh, golf. So <laughs> now, tell me, are you like me? Are you Are you a bit of a hacker? Do you reckon you could core some lawns for people? Uh, yeah, I uh, I have about an 18 handicap, so uh, that doesn't put me in the worst uh, of categories, but certainly not uh, not a single-digit handicap. Oh, I can right? tell you what, Scott, I'm not playing against you because mine's far worse than that, <laughs> I can assure you. Now, <laughs> uh, I really love spending a bit of time um, talking with people about their lives because I guess it gives some context as to what makes them tick. So are you, you into music? Do you like any particular music? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I enjoy uh, kind of uh, being uh, of, of my uh, generation. I kind of enjoy 70s and 80s uh, rock and uh, one of the classics. Clearwater uh, Revival. Um, yeah, Stones. Stones, uh, Stones uh, yeah. Mellencamp. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Fantastic. Absolutely. Love it. Now, in terms of, uh, you know, other things that you like to do, do you have much time to, to watch uh, movies with families? Do you get into that side of life at all? 
have much time uh, for that? Yeah, we certainly do. I mean, uh, movies uh, during the coronavirus pandemic has been more uh, kind of watching on the Netflix and the HBO than it is going to theaters. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice to kind of uh, get back. And uh, uh, I've always enjoyed a good Bond flick. Uh, I guess there's another one coming out here shortly. So uh, no time to die. So that will be a good Excellent. one. Yeah, absolutely. I just noticed to your, your left-hand side the Mick Jagger uh, um, is that a is that a what is that is that a number plate there? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was uh, doing business with the Brazilian nuclear energy industry a couple of years back, a few years back when the Stones were performing their epic concert on Copacabana Beach. And oh wow! Staying in the hotel that that we were staying in, so I had an opportunity to meet Mick and and the band in the lobby as they arrived uh, late one evening. So it was quite a thrill. <laughs> That's no small feat, absolutely. What a memory to, to put into the case there. I, um, I, I wonder now, when you were growing up, Scott, did you um, look to anybody to, you know, for inspiration that helped, uh, I guess, form you into the man you've come today? Yeah, um, you know, certainly I'm fortunate. To, I was born into a mining family, so I always admired my dad uh, being in the, in the mining industry, much more on the, the uh, engineering and geology side of the business than, than the path I took in in sort of the marketing, commodity marketing, uh, corporate development and finance, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly inspiration from him and uh, uh, also drew a lot of uh, inspiration from Ronald Reagan uh, as I graduated from uh, university and got out into the world in the Reagan era, I was uh, full of uh, energy to go out and, and make <laughs> it in the world, so uh, both uh, good influences on me looking yeah. back. This is a good conversation for me to have because I've been involved with mining myself and surface surface exploration, drilling out of Roxby Downs and other places across Australia. And I loved the experience. I loved every part of it, from geology to stoke mining to the drilling to everything that's involved. The, I guess the camaraderie, the everything that goes with it. Now, what what are some of the I guess the main memories? Did you ever get out in the fields and have a look around yourself? What do you recall? Yeah, I mean, my first uh, uranium prospecting trips were as a as a child in the Colorado Plateau, going out with my dad in uh, the Moab area, uh, going out with uh, old dusty prospectors and <laughs> kilometer, and driving uh, four hours down a, a dirt road into a box canyon to take some uh, grab samples and some uh, cinolometer readings. But uh, five million flies. Yeah, uh, through the years, I've, I've really uh, I've been fortunate to work for three of the four largest uranium mining companies in the world, including Cameco out of uh, Canada, yep. Uranium One, now owned by the Russians, and his uh, Adam Prom. I even served as an advisor to the CEO there, and kind of got them uh, kind of the transition from a state-owned company to more uh, public uh, company. But I've really enjoyed being able to visit uranium mines all around the world. Uh, whether they be in Australia or uh, Africa, United States, Canada, but uh, really love uh, love seeing uh, different operations and different uh, types of mining, conventional open pit, uh, in yes. situ recovery. I think you've got it all uh, in in Australia. Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you now that, um, you know, um, this is a topic that a lot of people don't really understand that much about. And I'd love if we could provide some clarity around by just basically asking some of the fundamental questions. What is uranium? Could we start there? Yeah, so uranium is a, is a mined mineral that is an energy mineral. Um, you know, uranium concentrates are, are, are mined uh, from the earth and uh, processed into nuclear fuel 
which are basically uh, large heating elements in a, in a nuclear reactor that create heat to, to produce steam, to turn a, a turbine and to make electricity. So uh, obviously the, the industry got its start from nuclear weapons and, and kind of is perhaps some of the uh, reasons for having uh, PR challenges, you know, throughout the, yes. the decades. But uh, as we sit today, I mean, the main use for, for uranium is is producing clean, carbon-free electricity uh, in the United States. It's about 20% of our electricity, but, a, but over 50% of our carbon-free energy, and it's twice as large as, as the contribution uh, from wind and solar. And then you mentioned another uh, application, which is uh, quite important for the uh, nuclear navy. In the U.S., we have the, the fleet of aircraft carriers and submarines, that run on essentially small modular reactors that, that provide the propulsion uh, for those. And, and uh, as, as we all understand, the Australia will be getting uh, its first nuclear uh, submarine as well. And then there's other sort of applications for nuclear power that are, are quite interesting because of the, the ability to produce um, so much energy, um, so much energy density coming from uranium. It's such an efficient way to make uh, energy we can use nuclear power plants to produce hydrogen for uh, tr trucks and buses. Yes. Uh, we can desalinate water in, in regions where uh, water is, is scarce. We can create uh, clean electricity for Bitcoin mining and data centers, which is being done now in uh, a number of plants here in the U.S. Because so, Elon Musk has a bit of an issue with that, doesn't he? Because of the load yeah, of it, energy. Uh, the Bitcoin uses so much uh, electricity in the, mm. in the mining of, of those cryptocurrencies uh, they're now looking to uh, nuclear power plants. And, and frankly, just the green energy label from a nuclear power plant is becoming more valuable now as we kind of go through this energy transition that the world is going through. Um, you know, it's, it's quite interesting because I think if we look back on, on energy transitions in the past, was there, whether it was the Industrial Revolution with the advent of coal producing steam to make uh, goods and, and, and power economies, or in the United States, the whole uh, energy independence of fracking and uh, directional drilling in the natural gas industry. These were all driven, these were transitions in energy driven by technology first. Yeah. Um, this one's a bit different because the move to green energy is, is more policy and ideologically driven. And frankly, um, you know, uh, the math and science doesn't quite uh, completely add up and which we're beginning to see some challenges in uh, you know markets uh, in Europe, in the UK, uh, Germany, uh, in parts of the United States, in Texas and, and California, where we've actually gone too far down and rely too heavily on intermittent renewables. There's nothing wrong with wind and solar; they have an important place in the of mix. Course. Yep. But they uh, can't, you know, something that runs 30% of the time cannot be 100% of your electricity. So if you're going to make it harder or difficult or even prohibit fossil fuels as being part of the mix, you're going to have to uh, figure out what to do with the other 70% of your energy needs. And that's why folks like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Peter Thiel are really looking to nuclear energy because it does have, it's just as clean and carbon-free as wind and solar. It's just as safe as wind and solar. Mm -hmm. But where it differs is it runs 95% of the time as opposed to, to 25 or 30% of the time. So we're not surprising we're seeing uh, uh, really robust growth in nuclear power um, with reactors being built. We've seen 57 new reactors come online around the world in the last eight years. We have 51 mm -hmm. more under construction. And now we're beginning to see 
the advent of small modular reactors and advanced reactors, which some of which are being looked at as possible uh, energy sources in Australia. But these are the smaller versions of the bigger nuclear power plants. And again, maybe more similar to those propulsion reactors in submarines or, or aircraft carriers. But again, uh, the ability to pr produce um, carbon-free energy and do it 24-7 is, is a great complement and backup to intermittent renewables. So with, uh, I hear that um, this is uh, in the environment, even in seawater. Is that true? Even uh, what? Even in seawater? Uranium can be found in seawater? Yeah, I mean, uranium is quite a common element in the mm. Earth's crust and even in, in minute amounts in, uh, in seawater. I don't know that it would ever be economic to, to mine it, but, you know, yep. uranium is in the ground and the soil and rocks around us. Uh, it's just finding an economic deposit that has the higher concentrations um, that, that would uh, allow you to mine it profitably like you have in us. Uh, South Australia, you've got mm. the Olympic Dam mine there, which is obviously a very big deposit. You've got yeah. the Honeymoon uh, and uh, three, mi uh, or I guess, uh, three Mile Mines uh, in, in South Australia. So there you have concentrations of uranium yeah. high enough to where it <clears throat> can be mined economically. Do you think that, um, you know, given the, the way that things are changing, I, I think about, um, for example, um, what do you call them, the little beepers in your houses? They seem to have like a little radioactive sticker mm -hmm. on them. Is that uranium that's in those things? Um, it's, uh, it's a different, I think, kind of a, an isotope that is used to power those um, smoke detectors in, yep. in homes. But, yeah, they're a small... A radioactive source. Um, again, I think the biggest thing that we've learned over the last, you know, 50, 60 years is that, um, you know, radiation in and of itself is not as dangerous as, as one might think. We're, we're bathed in radiation from the Somewhat, sun. Yeah. Where I live in Colorado, I'm at a higher altitude, so I get more radiation than someone who lives in, at sea level in, in California. Um, pilots, student, you know, flight attendants, flying uh, long, long haul flights, are getting uh, radiation doses, but we're, you know, the, the key is that they're low-level uh, doses of, of radiation which yep. don't have any harm on the human body. It's just the intense, massive amounts of, of radiation that, uh, you know, are, are quite uncommon, and the average person is, is not likely to ever see those, those uh, levels of, of radiation in their uh, daily lives. So, uh, again, we've, we've learned a lot over the last of uh, six years how to use it, uh, the technology safely. And this is uh, very important for those who, uh, I guess, don't understand. So I appreciate you opening up and sharing your knowledge with us. Now, you talked about reactors coming online a little earlier, Scott. I'm wondering, um, they're very centralised. They're, you know, they're a central source of this energy. Do you ever see, just like you would solar on homes, do you ever see a future where you have very small uh, decentralised home-based powered yeah. systems like this? I, I think probably that decentralized probably is not as practical as yeah. um, I think, you know, the small modular reactors, a large nuclear power plant like, you know, that are being built in, in China, India, mm -hmm. states all around the world. Those are large 1600 megawatt uh, units of very, very large power plants. These new generation of SMRs are about 150, 100 to 300 megawatts. So they're smaller and more scalable. But where you can get the decentralized um, uh, nature of nuclear power for transportation would be in electric vehicles. If you can generate electricity cleanly in a nuclear power plant 
and power electric vehicles, you've effectively used uh, nuclear power in a, in, a, in a safer way to, to be decentralized in trucks, cars, and, and buses. So I think that's... Constructive, uh, productive, uh, non-environmentally impacting way. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. Now, um, I'd like to know if we could shift the conversation to the way in which uranium is actually drawn from the earth for those who don't understand the process. What are the differences between traditional mining? Uranium can be mined conventionally, which, um, you know, you would know very well in in Mm. Australia to be uh, open pit or underground mines. Now, fortunately, the energy density of uranium is so... uh, uh, great that we don't have to mine massive volumes of rock like in a coal mine, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mines, even the conventional open pit underground mines, can be quite uh, focused with a smaller footprint. But we're also using, um, uh, I would call it a disruptive technology called in situ recovery. And you have these, these mines as well in, in, in South Australia, which are going in and uh, oxidizing uranium uh, from the sandstone that the, the, the ore body is hosted in and pumping the uranium as a solution to the surface. So there you don't have the, the drilling, blasting, the waste rock, the tailings. You're very selectively going into the ore body and extracting the uranium in a way that is environmentally advantageous and uh, is, is also uh, easier to restore and clean up when at the end of, of operations and Land can be turned back to the landowners for ranching or uh, whatever the other original uses were. So in situ recovery, ISR mining is now 50% of global uranium mining. So it's half of world's production. And one of the reasons being is it's also cheaper. It's lower capital cost, lower operating cost. It's not as capital as intensive as as, you you would see in a conventional operation like Olympic Dam there where it's a Mm. very large mining and milling operation. Oh, yeah. These are much more smaller uh, facilities. So where does uh, uranium uh, Uranium Royalty Corp have interest? Is it globally or? Yeah, so Uranium Royalty Corp is is a royalty and streaming company. So we have financial interests in mines and developments around the world. We have a portfolio of 16 royalties at, at present. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, royalties in two of the largest mines, highest grade, largest output mines in the world in Saskatchewan, Canada. So that's one region that's quite prolific. Uh, so uh, Canada being a, a major producer. Kazakhstan is another region in Central Asia that has really uh, become the number one producer in the world now. So countries like uh, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan are major producers um, but also the United States at once led the world in production uh, globally in 1980, has really seen its production drop, but it's looking to really ramp back up using this in-situ recovery technology, which is, uh, allows them to compete with, with mines elsewhere. And then, of course, Australia has some of the largest resources of uranium in the world, and we've mm. seen mining in South Australia and up in the Northern Territories with the Ranger Mine up near yep. Darwin. So. Uh, those are kind of uh, major areas. Then also in Africa, Namibia and Niger would be in that top five producing countries as well. Thank you for sharing. I, I wonder, how do you get involved? What, what's the, the, I guess, the selection matrix look like? What, what do you need to know before you say, hey, look, this is a viable option for us? Yeah, so we you know, obviously want to create a portfolio on behalf of our investors, some of which are not mining engineers or geologists. And so they rely on us to do the due diligence. So we go quite in-depth uh, on each potential counterparty, and we look mm-hmm. at the, 
the geologic resources? Have the resources been determined accurately? Is there any sort of um, discount that we need to do of, of the geologic resource? Uh, is the mine plan sound? Uh, you know, can they produce economically, be a competitive mine and start up and, and, and run? Do they have uh, political risk uh, in a particular jurisdiction? Are there, uh, you know, obviously ESG and, and uh, social responsibility is a big part as well. Is there any reason from health, safety, or environment that would kind of disqualify an investment on our part? So we really go through and we look at all those things and um, either acquiring existing royalties on projects sort of in the secondary market yep. or establishing new royalties so we can be a source of financing. If a minor developer needs to raise capital, we can provide that capital up front and then take future streams of either the physical product or royalties in the form of percentage of, of the revenue generated in the mine. What's a, what's a mine life? typically uh, with, with uranium? It really varies. I mean, the, the Ranger mine in, in northern uh, territories of Australia ran for decades, all the way back to the uh, 70s, uh, whereas other mines might be smaller, uh, uh, you know, mine-like, but it really really just depends on the size of the mineral resource and mm -hmm. the annual production. Excellent. Thank you again for the feedback. I'd love to, for the sake of uh, those who are listening who, doesn't, who don't understand what we're talking about in terms of royalties versus streams, can you clarify the, the royalty model versus the stream model? Yeah, so a typical royalty could be a percentage of the gross revenue of, of the mine production. So if the mine produces, we could get, say, a 1% or 2% uh, payment equal to the revenue generated from that mine production. So it's a cash payment based on production. Or a stream is a physical payment. So we would receive physical pounds of uranium as compensation for the, the upfront money paid in, in uh, the, the royalty financing. So streams are physical yep. uh, product and royalties are, are cash payment. And when we hear different terminologies, uh, again, to educate our listeners, what do you mean by pure play, uranium as a pure play? Yeah, so um, our company is really focused purely on uranium mining and development. We're not going to get into battery metals like nickel, cobalt, copper, you know, other gold-based metals. Yep. We leave other royalty companies to focus on those, and it's become quite a huge industry, probably 50 billion-dollar industry in base and precious metals, companies like Franco Nevada, Wheat and Precious Metals, these companies that have really focused on, on those commodities. But we're the only company in the industry today that's focused on uranium. So we're, we're the first mover in the space and uh, quite a young company. We just launched publicly less than two years ago mm -hmm. on the Toronto Stock Exchange and then uh, got our listing on the NASDAQ Exchange in, uh, in the United States earlier this year. And I believe we're the only sort of pure play uranium company on the NASDAQ exchange. So uh, it's really improved our liquidity in trading. We're trading as much as a, a million shares a day now between Toronto and, and New York NASDAQ. That's excellent news. Now, um, just for everybody who's on the call, if you want to know what that NASDAQ stock ticker is, it's UR. OY, and I'll be making sure that's available at the base of this post. Now, yeah. in terms of, um, I guess, the political sphere, you know that there's a lot of uh, uptake with governments because they are seeing the yeah. upside to uranium. What are some of the things that you're you're seeing uh, from well, this is the, This is probably the most incredible thing. I, you know, having been in this industry now for 37 years, I've mm. seen how public opinion and political support has, has, has developed over the years. 
And as we sit today in the United States, we're truly one of the few things that is, is bipartisan in, in terms of, of support. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's very few things that Republicans on the right and Democrats on the left agree mm. on. Days. It's obviously, you, you see our political situation here. But nuclear power is actually something now that they both agree on. And for the political right, it's, uh, you know, nuclear has always had an important role as an all-of-the-above energy strategy that uses coal, gas, oil, nuclear, wind, solar. But for the left, which is much more selective and, and focusing on, on carbon-free, they're really coming to the realization that there won't be meaningful reductions in carbon emissions without a significant contribution from nuclear. So we have a huge opportunity uh, having that kind of support. I've testified before the United States Senate mm -hmm. hearings on nuclear energy, and I can tell you that the, the um, reception was, was quite warm uh, from both the, the, the left and, and the right. So uh, we have an important uh, opportunity. Nuclear power is, is growing dramatically. I think in terms of the investment uh, thesis, it's quite interesting because we have been producing far less than the world is consuming uh, for a number of years now. And, and uh, that's part of this thesis that if the world consumes today about 190 million pounds of uranium per year to run all the reactors around the world, we're today only producing a little over 120 million. So that means that we're drawing on secondary supplies. The industry is living off of inventories and secondary supplies, some of which were built up during the, the years following Fukushima, where there was quite a disruption in supply and demand yeah. over that 10-year period. But now, you know, 10 years on, we're, we're really getting to a point where the inventories are being drawn down and we're trans transitioning to much more of a production-driven uh, commodity, and that will depend on uh, cost of production, time to permit, time to production. And so uh, for our industry, we, we fully expect uranium prices to, to continue to increase. We've been at below sort of the, the market prices have been below the production cost of most of the world's mines. So we've seen mines shut in. But over the last uh, several weeks, we've seen uranium prices. I think today they're up about 30% over where they were six, seven weeks ago. And mm -hmm. uh, briefly, touched $50 a pound. We were up from uh, $30 a pound uh, earlier, uh, kind of late summer, and you know, up significantly from the cycle low at $17 a pound in 2016. So um, you know, we're now in a, in a situation with those higher uranium prices. We're seeing a lot of investor interest and capital flowing into the, into the uh, industry, and, and as well it should, because we do need to finance uh, probably eight, nine, ten new mines in various jurisdictions around the world, whether it's Australia, Canada, yeah. US, Africa. And so uh, for investors, uh, the uranium story is quite exciting. And uranium royalty is, as I said, a good diversified, almost like an ETF, uh, where investors can have that diversified exposure on the uranium story. Uh, something else that we've been doing uh, uh, as a young company until we get up at a, a steady state where we're seeing steady cash flows from these investments we've made, we've invested in uranium near the bottom of the cycle. So we've, we, as we sit today, we're holding physical uranium, uh, totaling about 650,000 pounds of, of U308, which mm -hmm. um, uh, has uh, already appreciated significantly from, from where we bought that. So, you know, early investors not only get the royalties and stream, revenue that's coming 
but also some of the uh, capital appreciation on uranium inventories and our investment in a physical uranium sort of uh, uh, fund uh, called Yellow Cake out of London, which is a, a physical warehouser of uranium and, and uh, basically a pure commodity investment. So we're a close to 5% shareholder in that company. We're part of their uh, IPO in London three years ago. So again, lots of uh, exposure for the uranium investor in a diversified way at, at UROI. And you can see right now, um, this is really the, I guess, the tip of the knife, isn't it? Because yes. this is very early stage. You're one of, if not the only one on the NASDAQ, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. uh, is, and, and given what we've just talked about, that would, that would be the reason why, you know, mum and dad investors, small to medium size investor organisations are now getting uh, more and more interested, wouldn't it? Yeah, we're seeing, uh, you know, there's always been sort of retail investors that have been contrarian investors in uranium through the, the down cycle, mm -hmm. through the bear market. We've seen institutions that have been focused on uranium. But over the last uh, couple of years, three years, we've seen much more generalist investors, whether they be institutions or retail. And so, uh, you know, we are just seeing uh, the trading volumes of the uranium equities across the board increased quite significantly. But uh, as you said, uh, these are early days in, in the uranium uh, bull market that's, that's begun. Uh, yep. you know, uranium prices still at, you know, around high 30s, $40 a pound. I think they've got uh, a ways to go before uh, we're going to stimulate the uranium production needed to meet the, the growing demand of, of the nuclear power plant. So, uh, you know, uranium prices is so unreasonable to see them increasing into the 50 60 even 70 dollar a pound range in the in the coming months and years as uh, uh and which will really give a lift to all the uranium equities in, in the space thank you again for sharing scott i am always interested when as an investor about the competencies of the management team behind something like this can you tell us a little bit about the people behind uh yeah, uranium? So we, um, we have a very small but but very uh experienced team one of the advantages of a royalty and streaming company is that we can manage the company with four or five people and, and a competent board of directors Yep. have a very low overhead and G&A. Uh, I think royalty companies are some of the most profitable companies in the world when measured by uh, earnings per, per, per employee, if you will. Yep. And so the small team that we have, it's very critical that, that we uh, have a full understanding of the uranium business. Uh, you know, I, I bring 37 years with some of the largest uranium mining companies in the world mm -hmm. over that time, but we also have uh, our chief technical officer, uh, Darcy Hurstcorn was over 20 years at Chemical Corporation in their global exploration. So he's performing the due diligence that, that, that we need to do to assure that we're investing in the right counterparties and putting them into the portfolio. We've also got on the capital market side, I mean, Amir Adnani is the chairman of the board who's sort of the visionary and one of the co-founders of the company and very entrepreneurial mm -hmm. uh, uh, chairman. Uh, and, and folks like uh, Neil Gregson, who ran J.P. Morgan's uh, global mining fund out of London for many years, and uh, John Griffith, who uh, comes to us from Gold Royalty Corp., which uh, brings a lot of uh, sort of royalty expertise and counsel to me as, as the CEO. So, uh, yeah, small team, but we, we certainly understand uranium. We understand the challenges, but also the opportunities that the uranium industry presents. 
Yeah, that's fantastic feedback. Very relevant. Now, um, in all of that, Scott, where are people going to go if they want to actually do some self-research? What's the website? Where, where they yeah, can so uraniumroyalty.com is our, is our website, and you can learn about the company and, and our portfolio. Uh, obviously, we couldn't have time today to go into the various investments that we have, but uh, mm-hmm. they're all there on the website. I would also encourage you, if you're kind of searching uh, on information about nuclear energy and how it fits in, in the global mix, I would encourage you to go to the World Nuclear Association uh, website out of, out of uh, London, England, uh, and, and can really speak to what's happening around the world globally on, with nuclear power, including some of these small modular uh, reactors that are being talked about for uh, Australia, for example. So. Those are uh, excellent sources of information on the industry. You have been a, a wonderful source of information. It's an enlightening uh, conversation on a often, um, you know, a, a topic that's not well known or understood. Thank you very much. Uh, with all of that being said, if you're on the call today, you want to find out more information, do exactly that. Visit uraniumroyalty.com. I'll be providing this link uh, below the post. No, no matter where you see it, you'll find the links back to Scott and his wonderful team. And with that said, Scott, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you, Rick. It's been my pleasure. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.